0: This podcast is a presentation of Indianola First Assembly of God Church. For more information, please visit us online at IndianolaFirst.com. Well, this morning, I I, kind of need to start off a little bit serious. I hope you're okay with that. Um, There was a story I heard about a church that had, or sorry, a family rather, that had come to our church last week. And as they were driving home, the dad of this family uh, was talking to his family and he was complaining and he complained about the announcements being un- unclear, the music being too loud, the sanctuary being too cold, I don't know no one's ever complained about our sanctuary being too cold have they? <laughs> the people being unfriendly and he went on and on and on and he was complaining, complaining, complaining and finally his son said you know dad, you might be right but you gotta admit for a dollar it was a heck of a show <laughs> it was a joke by the way it didn't really happen Today I want to share with you a topic that is very near and dear to Jesus' heart In fact, he talked about this subject more than he talked about heaven and hell combined In fact, one out of every three parables that Jesus told mentions this subject And it was so important that it's a subject out of one out of every seven verses in the book of Luke The only thing that Jesus talked about more than this was the kingdom of God Have you guessed what it is? I want to talk about money this morning. Money is what Jesus talked about one out of every three parables. Money is what he mentions one out of every seven verses in the book of Luke. He talked about money more than anything else except the kingdom of God. Why did Jesus do that? Was Jesus money hungry? Was he obsessed with money? What was his purpose in wanting to talk about it so much? Well, first off, it's one of those areas that gets a lot of people on earth sidetracked. You see, Jesus talked about money because he knew that we would have issues with money. And so if you look at 1 Timothy verse 6, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 10, rather, it says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, this verse sometimes is misinterpreted or misread, and people think it says... For money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that, does it? It says the love of money or greediness for money or lust for money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is one of those things in life that you really, you can't remove yourself from it, right? Like if you have a problem gambling, you can stay away from casinos. If you have a problem with alcohol... You can stay away from places that sell alcohol or people that drink alcohol and you can keep yourself from that if you have an issue with gossip then you can you know block the phone or block a number or, you know block text messages or whatever you can get away from some of those things but money is one of those things that unless you're gonna be one of those dudes that goes off and just kind of lives the Grizzly Adams lifestyle in the woods you're gonna have to deal with money aren't you you have to have it to survive you have to have it to live it's part of how our world works and so Jesus knew that and so I think that's why he talked about money so much because he knew that it could potentially take us down paths that would lead far from him in fact that's what it says in first Timothy six ten. it says um, for money uh, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs and so Jesus knew that he knew that money has the ability to take people far from the faith and to wander from their faith and so I think that's why he talked about it so much. And the problem isn't really that money is inherently evil. In fact, like I said, the verse that I just read says it was the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil not not money. So money is amoral. It's neither good nor it's bad. It just it just is what it is. Money can be used for good things like giving to missions or You know, giving to ministries that help people that are sex trafficked or, you know, giving to charities that help people find housing and food. Or it can be used for evil purposes like buying a game to the Packers, or buying a ticket rather to the Packers game. It can be used for a lot of different evil purposes as well. It's a shout out to my wife. (laughs) Point is this, guys, there's nothing wrong inherently with money. It just needs to be put in its proper place in our hearts and in our priorities. In this world that we function in, wealth works kind of like this. works like this. It works like, it's kind of to the point, actually, wealth in this society where people will spend their families, they'll spend their youth, um, you know, they'll spend their health to obtain money. And when it comes down to it, it's like, the harder you work, the more you get, the more you want, the more you keep. And then whoever dies with the most money in their bank account at the end of life wins, right? That's kind of how our money, our our society, our world functions with money. But when I was talking before later, I said Jesus talked about the kingdom of God as his number one priority, right? And he talked about money as a number two priority. So how many of you think those those two issues, those two subjects probably overlapped once in a while if he talked about them the most? And the reason I think that they overlapped every once in a while is because that God knows that the way that money functions on this world or on this earth Functions totally different than how it functions in the kingdom of heaven and how you give on this earth Is different than how people give or how money should be treated in the kingdom of heaven And so there's this disconnect between how we use money and how money functions with us and how money functions in the kingdom And so God talked to the disciples He talked to people about money and its place and how it should function within the kingdom of heaven Or you could just say it this way how money should function if you're a Christian and as you're a Christian God's math is different than the world's math. And so that's what I want to dive in today. I want to talk about how kingdom math works. I call this message kingdom calculation, mostly because kingdom and calculation had the same kind of starting sound and that's what i had to do to get it make it make it stick in your minds but kingdom calculation and so i want to really hang out of the book of malachi this morning i know that's a book that we probably don't talk about very often and this book of malachi is most famous for this verse probably gets preached the most but this morning i want to take you to malachi chapter 3 so if you have your bibles and i hope you do please turn to malachi chapter 3 whether that's digitally or you actually have a, a hard copy of your bible Um, Turn to Malachi chapter 3. I want you to see this, and I want you to, we're going to really kind of soak in these verses this morning, and I want you to see what they mean. As you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of history about what we're about to jump into. So in Malachi, God is talking through the prophet Malachi to his people, the Israelites. And there were some issues going on with God's temple and he was addressing them and so God is having this dialogue as if he was talking to the Israelites and he's not, he's talking to them and he's kind of answering for them, you know he's kind of having a dialogue about what they would say and so here's, here's what it sounds like we're going to start it in Matthew uh, I'm sorry, Malachi rather, chapter 3 here we go it says this, did I tell you what's, what verse to start from? Um, 3, verses 8 through 12 will the mere mortal rob God yet you rob me but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be a room enough to store it. Verse 11. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. That's Matthew 3. verses 8 through 12 so God's economics, kingdom economics kingdom calculations, how do they work how are they different, well it works this way you know in this world we try to get, get, get get, get as much as we can, we hoard and we hoard and we hoard or we spend it on ourselves and we give it to ourselves but God's kingdom works differently and one of the things that works differently is that when you are a giver in God's kingdom, he subtracts the curse the curse that's if you're taking notes today that's a good place to start he subtracts the curse Math, or Malachi I keep calling Matthew Malachi chapter 3 verse 9 you were under a curse your whole nation because you were robbing me the whole nation of Israel was under a curse why? because if you go back in the verse and you read it and we're not going to reread it but if you go back in there God talks about the fact that they weren't taking care of the temple now if you don't know what the temple is I'm giving you a little history this morning the temple was where they worshipped God it was their local church it was our local church. And they weren't taking care of it. And so what God was talking to them about is he was saying, Hey, because you're not taking care of my house, because you're not taking care of my temple, you are under a curse. See, the entire nation of Israel was commanded by God back through Moses to give 10% of their flocks, of their herds, of their, um, of their crops. They were a farming society, and so that was, their, that was their income. That's how they worked. And so they were to give a tenth of that off the top to God and to, work, to the temple work. And we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But they weren't doing it, and so because they weren't doing it, God said, you're under a curse. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, in order to answer that question, we have to go back to Haggai. Okay? We're doing like the best of the minor prophets this morning. So I'm going to take you to Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. Let me give you a little background here too. Haggai was written at a time where the Israelites, God's people, had been taken captive by another nation. Okay, another nation had came in and they took them to a place called Babylon, which is modern day Iran, I believe, or Iraq, one of the two. And uh, they had taken them captive for seventy years. And then there was a remnant of people that wanted to go back to their homeland and they wanted to start rebuilding. And so they had started that process. And this is where the prophet Haggai starts talking to them, chapter one, verse six. Nine, He says this. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in a ruin." Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but you'll never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty said says, give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expect much, but see it turns out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house which remains in ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. So here's what here's what they're being accused of. Here's what was happening in the book of Haggai. They came back into the land, and their first priority was to make nice places for themselves. In fact, their houses were so nice, they had paneling in them. Huh? How many of you want paneling again in your houses? You remember that? Remember those days? Well, evidently, that was really cool back then. I don't know. Maybe it was in the 70s. I'm not sure. <laughs> but they came back, and the first thing they did was they, were, they wanted to be comfortable, and so they, they built their houses. That was their main priority. And then they didn't do anything with God's house. And they left it just sit in ruins. They weren't taking care of the house of God. So essentially they were doing, they're doing the same thing that the people in the book of Malachi were doing. They were neglecting the house of God. And so Haggai tells them, hey, here's what's happening. You might notice that you go out and you plant crops, but nothing comes of it. You may notice that you earn wages, but you put them into a purse that has a hole in the bottom. Or in other words, you might make some money, but you don't get to keep any of it because it keeps going out and going out and going out and he starts talking to them about all the things that they're doing like eating but never having enough or drinking and never being satisfied they were that, that's what it means to be under the curse that's what that looks like that's what that was all about and so he says why don't you take care of my house and prioritize me that's what God was saying and I'll take care of your other stuff that you have it caused them to spin their wheels financially see giving the tithe was a command that God gave the Israelites like I said through Moses they were to give not just 10% of their income but they were commanded to give the first 10% of their income. See, it's all about God having the right place in our heart, in the right space. God could have asked for any 10% of their income. He could have said, guys, you go ahead and pay your bills, and you go ahead and get what you want, and then you know, with the leftover, you give me the rest of the leftover. But what did God say? He said, I want the first 10%. Why did God ask that? It's because he wanted to have priority. It shows priority. It shows the fact that it's like an object lesson to us that... Money doesn't have us, but in fact, we have control of it. And because we have control of money, the first 10% is going to be given to God because he's the first and the most important thing in our lives. And so he's telling the people of Haggai this, and he's saying, hey, you guys are having all these issues. You guys are trying to get ahead financially, but you're not because you're not taking care of me, you're not placing me first. And he tells people in Malachi the same, th- he tells them the- basically the same thing with saying it in a different way. But let me ask you this question this morning, because... There's some of you in here that you maybe, maybe you don't tithe. Maybe you don't tithe. Maybe you've never tithed. Now, let me ask you this question. Are there any of you in here this morning that maybe you save a little bit of money and you get ahead a little bit, but then the car breaks down and you have to pay for the car? Or maybe you get ahead a little bit and then you get hit with a big tax bill? You know, something unexpected comes up. Or maybe you make headway and then, you know, you're saving a little bit of money in the savings account and then all of a sudden you get hit with a sickness and someone has to go to the hospital and all of a sudden you have thousands of dollars worth of medical bills that you have to pay. Are you in a place this morning where you're spinning your wheels financially? That's my first question. And if you say yes to that, because I've lived in those places, the second question would be, are you a tither? Because God says in the book of Malachi that he is going to subtract the curse. In fact, let's look at it again, Malachi 3.11. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not drop before the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. So there's a place to live. Now understand this is a command of God, but there's a, a blessing attached, and it's that God's going to subtract the curse from your life. What does that look like? Well, let, let me tell you. Deuteronomy 29, verse 5, it says this. The children of Israel, to give you a little history again, they were wandering through this place called the wilderness or the desert. Not a lot of resources. We're talking like a million plus people camping, literally camping in the desert. You know, some of you, it's, it's bad enough that you go in a, an RV for a weekend and that's, that's roughing it, right? These guys were out in tents in the middle of the desert for 40 years here's what happened because they lived in the they were living in the blessing of God yet the Lord says during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness your clothes did not wear out nor did the sandals on your feet you know what that is? that's a subtraction of the curse and there's debate among scholars whether God really like if there was a supernatural miracle that God did in order for them to continue to have the same shoes or you know if God if that just meant that God sustained them because he gave them what they needed and I I don't necessarily know where I land on that but I'll tell you this If God God supernaturally fed them every day, every single day for 40 years, I don't think it's a stretch to say that he supernaturally took away the the natural rotting of their shoes or their clothing. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't think it's a big jump to make that conclusion. But God subtracted the curse from the Israelites. So what does that look like for us today? It looks like maybe cars that run longer. Maybe it looks like family members... That stay a little bit more healthy. Or maybe it looks like the IRS staying out your business, okay? What does that look like for us? It means that we can maybe get to a place where we're not always, you know, trying, 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 working more hours, working more overtime, and having nothing to show for it. Maybe it means we have a little bit more because God is subtracting the curse. God is taking those things that are naturally going to occur because how many of you know we are under a curse? Adam and Eve put the whole of humanity under a curse. That means our finances as well. In fact, he talks about it in the book of Genesis when God cursed humanity because of what Adam and Eve did when they sinned by eating the fruit that they weren't supposed to. God put them under a curse. And part of that curse was there was going to be thorns and thistles in the land. Again, a means of providing sustenance and income for themselves that was going to be hard to do. So our finances are under a curse naturally. That's not necessarily something we're, we're doing or not doing by putting ourselves under it. But listen, we're all under the curse financially. That's where we're at. But if you're a tither, God subtracts that curse. It's like God taking the umbrella when the when the when the rain's coming down, which rec- which symbolizes the curse. It's like God taking his umbrella and just putting it right over you, so He subtracts the curse, so you're not under the curse any longer, but you're under the blessing of God. And I'll tell you what: there's some amazing benefits to being under that. And who knows? I mean, it's hard to kind of quantify that because we don't know if the curse is subtracted. We don't know if our car would have broke down. But it doesn't. We don't know that. You know, we might have had a medical expense, but God saved us from that. I know there was uh, early in our marriage, or even before we were married. I think Devin had uh, asthma, and we were givers. We've been tithers Um, before we were ever married. We were tithers, and uh, there was an evangelist that came to the church one day and prayed. And I just called her out and said, "There's someone here with asthma." and uh, he called her out, had her come up front, he prayed for her, and then, really out of character for Devin, he made her run up and down the aisles of the church. Unfortunately, I wasn't there to see it. I would have had a blast seeing my wife running up and down the aisles of the church. But she ran up and down the aisles of the church, she was healed, has never had to have asthma medication since that day, and that was money that we would have spent on asthma medication that we didn't have to send, Ben, because God subtracted the natural curse. Does that make sense this morning? If you're a tither, God subtracts the curse and what is the tithe? We talked about it a little bit. The first ten percent of your income. Where does the tithe go? And I've had this question before. Some people would say, "Well, I, I, if I send my tithe to a, like a national ministry, that's why I tithe." Or I tithe to uh, you know someone I saw online. I really like their church, and so I tithe. And can I tell you that that's not necessarily the biblical precedent that God set up in the Book of Malachi? He said, "Bring the tithes into the storehouse." What is a storehouse? The temple, the local church. And what were the tithes meant for? The tithes were set aside. It was 10% that was set aside so that they could have supplies in the temple because they needed supplies in order to do the ministry. And they had people that came and worked in the temple on a rotating schedule. And those people got paid out of that out of what was given to the storehouse and so the same thing applies for us today the church is the local storehouse so if you're going to a church this is your storehouse where the tithes go and that goes for the same thing to keep the lights on in the building to keep the staff paid so that they can do the work of the ministry that God has called all of us to do and we can help facilitate that that is what the tithe was meant for and I know sometimes like I said people will tithe to different ministries and different online organizations can I tell you Let's follow if you follow that through to his natural conclusion. Um, and it's great to give money to those organizations, and we'll talk about that. But what happens if all of us were to give our money to other organizations? Our tithe, the local church would would be gone, the local church would not exist. So, all that ministry that happens at a local level like the needy being fed and those that are sick in the hospital being visited and, uh, you know, weddings and funerals and all the things that go along, those are all gone. So the storehouse was God's idea because God's, the local church rather, was God's idea from the beginning and that's how he sustains it. So that's what the tithe is. You sit underneath the tithe, God subtracts the curse. Uh, It's a pretty amazing promise. Wouldn't you agree that God subtracts the curse? Yeah, I think so too. Well, that's not the end of it. God subtracts the curse... But he also in Malachi three ten. Let's let's take a look at that. Says this: Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. So, guys, not only does God subtract the curse, he adds the blessing. He subtracts the curse, and he adds the blessing. What an incredible promise. We're going to break that down. But this is the only place in Scripture where God says to test him. In fact, there are places in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, and when Jesus is being tempted by Satan, where it says, do not test the Lord your God. But this is the only place, the one and only place. And aren't you glad? This is a great place to test God, right? He says, go ahead. Give me the tithe. Test me in this and see if I won't pour open the floodgates of heaven and give you so much that you won't have room enough to store it. What an awesome promise that is. So, like I said, in addition to subtracting the curse, he blesses us by providing for our needs. What does adding the blessing look like? It looks like God providing for our needs. God providing for our wants? Not necessarily. God providing for our needs. We'll talk about that in just a second, but we're going to get to this first. The place where God sustains you through the blessing, a place free from worry. It's that place that Jesus preached about in Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 33. And we're, again, we're not going to take a look at it because we don't necessarily have time to read all of it. And I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you today. But if you wanted to read through that yourself, I, I encourage you to do that, Matthew chapter 6. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, I'm going to paraphrase, but he's saying in Matthew chapter 6, he says, look at the birds. Look at the birds of the field. They don't try to find food. They don't worry about where their next meal is going to come from. I take care of them. He says, but you worry about where you're gonna get food and where you're gonna get your next meal. He says, you worry about clothes, but look at the look at the lilies of the fields. Look at how amazing they look. They look better than anybody. That is that's a really better than he says, better than Solomon and all his glory. And Solomon's like the pinnacle of the Israelite kings, and he was he had he had glory because he was amazing and he had all this money and all this wealth. And they, he said, Solomon didn't even look as good as one of those one of those flowers. And he says, I take care of those things. And those things are worth so much less than you. So why are you worried about that? You see, the place where God adds the blessing is a place where you don't worry about finances because God sustains you. God provides for your needs. And you don't have to worry about it anymore. So are you that person that's worrying about money all the time? Are you always worried about where your next, how your next bill is going to get paid or whether you're going to have to pay for more food or whether you're going to have to, you know, are you that person that's always caught up and you're worried about money and it's, it's something that's always in your mind as you're going to sleep? When you're a tither, God adds the blessing. It's that place where He sustains you so that you don't have to worry. When I was in Minnesota as a youth pastor, early on in my ministry, I wasn't making a lot of money. And, um, they gave me a place to live, but the amount of money that I was making every month was, uh, well, let's put it this way. My car insurance payment was more than half of what I made. So I'd get, I'd get the money that I would get for the month, and over half of it, about 65% of it, will go to my car insurance. I'm not going to tell you why my car insurance was so high, but it was high. <laughs> but 65% of my car insurance would go to that, so I didn't have a lot of money to live on. And when I moved up there, the idea was that I would get a part time, I'd be a part time youth pastor, and then I would have a part time job. And uh, I'll tell you what, in one year that I lived there, that never materialized. I never had another part time job that was steady. I had, I had little odds and ends here and there. I get a painting job here, or, you know, nothing, but nothing major, just little things. God sustained me that entire year, sustained me. People would show up with gas cards. People would take me out for meals. I would have food just dropped off at my house randomly. I had a check one time for $1,500 show up on my desk. I didn't know who it was from. Another check for $2,500. Guys, I was taken care of. And God showed me how to live in the blessing. I got to a point where I just wasn't worried anymore about where the money was going to come from because I knew that God was going to take care of it. Never had to have a job. It's that place of sustained blessing. The Israelites lived in this place of blessing. I talked to you about it just a little bit the israelites as they're going through the desert they had manna every single day they got fed supernaturally they would go out in the morning and there would be a dew that would form and then when the dew left there was this wafer like bread that was left on the ground and that's what they would that's what they would eat but but i'll tell you this and, and not only did god do that he also provided quail later on as well so they would eat quail one day and they would have manna but god always gave them just enough for that day See, with manna, he told them, I want you to go out and I want you to gather manna, but only enough for each person in your household for one day's worth of manna. He said, don't do more than that. Of course, what did they do? The first day that there was manna on the ground, after Moses had told them, don't get any more than you need, they went out and they gathered more. And what would happen to that manna if they left it overnight is it would spoil. It would turn rotten. But... On Friday, because their Sabbath was on Saturday, on Friday he said, go ahead and and, uh, gather twice as much as you need because I don't want you to work on the Sabbath. So I want you to gather twice as much as you need and then you can have it for the Sabbath. And that extra that they gathered on the day before the Sabbath, guess what happened the next day? It was fine. It wasn't moldy. It wasn't nasty. What was the principle there? The principle was that God was giving them just enough. Just enough. He was teaching them sustenance. He was teaching them how he was going to provide for their every single day need while they were in the desert it's a pretty cool place to be and since we're on the topic of the israelites it was kind of interesting as i was studying this sermon and i was studying for this sermon getting prepared to preach it god started to show me a little bit of a parallel between the three principles of giving that we're going to talk about this morning that we have been talking about and the israelites in their trip through the wilderness So, so so i'm going to throw this at you some of you may go over your head a little bit but but For the rest of you, I want to throw this at you. This is just something God showed to me. When the Israelites were in Egypt, okay, they were under the curse. Would you agree? Because they were in there for 400 years. They were slaves. They didn't own their own stuff. I mean, they they were slaves to Pharaoh. They were there for a long time. It was very hard, and they were under very hard circumstances. God delivered them. He subtracted the curse by bringing them out of Egypt. Then he took them into the wilderness, which was a place where he added... The blessing, because no longer were they under the curse, no longer were they dealing with the stuff that they had to deal with in Egypt, but at the same time, there wasn't a lot of resources there, so he was supplying the blessing. He was giving them just enough. You know what's cool about being in the place of blessing is you learn faith. You learn faith. You learn to trust God. And you know what happens when you trust God? Things like anxiety leave because you don't have to be anxious about money anymore because God has taken care of it. You don't have to be anxious about whether God has your back because you learn that He does. And so there's those two places, the place where God subtracted the curse and he brings them out of Egypt and then he adds the blessing like we talked about in Malachi when they're in the desert and they were learning how to walk with God and God was taking care of their every single need. Pretty amazing place to be. And then came the best place for the Israelites. So there's Egypt, there's the desert and then he takes them into, and us, if we're willing to go there, the land of abundance. See, I've always had this hard time when it comes to giving because sometimes i've even preached you know god's going to give you just what you need just enough for the day just enough and i saw that in the bible where god did that for example like the israelites but i've always had a hard time reconciling that with god's abundance because there was time that god would bless people in the bible abundantly and they would have so much uh you know even material possessions that they wouldn't even know what to do with it i thought well does god really does god just want to sustain us or does he want to like just you know pour on us blessings so that we can't contain. Where where is that? Well, when I was studying this, this is where I thought the revelation came. It was really fun. The Israelites had both. They had God's sustained blessing, but then God took them into another place. God took them into the promised land. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but the verses that we have been preceding this have been talking about taking care of the temple or the church. Now, the last verse in Malachi turns the attention to other nations. So we're going from adding the blessing to God multiplying generosity. So check this out. Check this out. In the end of, let's read the, I'll read the end of Malachi. I'll read the end of that verse for you. It says this. Sorry, I find my notes. He says, I will, he says, then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. So he turns the attention out from taking care of the temple to being a blessing to other nations is what he does. And why is that? Because, so that word blessing in that context, it means like to desire or to long for. You know, like like a nation that's, that people really want to go to. And, and the question is, why, why is that? Why will they be considered a, a place of blessing? Because in Malachi, mostly up until now, he's been talking about the tithe. He does say earlier in the verse, he says, tithes and offerings. But now he's talk, he's been talking just about the tithe. And he never really mentions the offering again, but then at the end he says this. He says, your place will be a place that people long to go to. Why? Because God is going to bless them so generously that their overflow will bless the nations. And that's called multiplication giving. And so this last kind of giving that I want to talk about, this is an optional kind of giving. Up until now, we've been talking about the tithe, which is a command, right? This last type is called, it's an optional type of giving that we do called an offering and it's 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 a type of giving that we do out of the overflow of our hearts it's the kind of giving that we do when we feel God move on our heart to give towards something or something hits our 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 passion button and we really want to give to it that's the offering that's a different kind of giving than what we've been talking to up until this point and that's promised land type giving and there's a promise attached to this type of giving that's incredibly mind-blowing it's found in second corinthians chapter 9 starting at verse Six, and I'm going to go ahead and read that for you. 2 Corinthians 9, starting with chapter 6. Remember this. Now this is Paul writing. Remember this. A farmer who plants a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You, much e- you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all that you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and... Plenty left over to share with others. As the Scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, He'll provide and increase your resources and produce a great harvest of generosity in you. So, Paul writes these verses. Who is he talking to? He is talking to a group of believers in the city of Corinth. Corinth is um, was it was a church that Paul had planted? And he's writing a letter back to them, and he's and he's talking about an offering that the people want to give to this church that's eighteen hundred miles away. What do we call that today? We call that missions. So they're taking up an offering, and Paul's writing about the offering because he's he's sending people to come and get the offering from them, and so he writes this verse to talk about what it means to give out of generosity. And so he's he's writing to them, and and what does that look like, or what does that sound like? Well. Um, it looks like him it looks like those people giving out of their abundance of their hearts and they want to give to this like I said in Jerusalem there was a big drought that was happening at the time and the believers in the churches were hurting and so they had heard about it God moved on their heart and they wanted to give it but then um, Paul goes on to talk about what that means and what that looks like and like I've told you before it's, it's the promised land of giving this is like graduate level type giving it's multiplication type giving in our church it looks like this it's, it's what we would call maybe a kingdom builders offering it's anything that's above and beyond the tithe because remember the tithe is commanded but the offering offering is something that we just do because it's out of the overflow of what God's doing in our lives and, the, and in our church it looks like kingdom builders and for those of you that don't know what kingdom builders is it's money that's given so that people can hear the gospel both here in the nation and in the world it's uh, and most of you probably don't even know what we do through Kingdom Builders in this church. It's it's amazing. We uh, we support missionaries, both Assembly of God and non, all over the world. In fact, Pastor Barry, do you happen to know off the top of your head how many? I want to say it's in the sixties. I think we have sixty some missionaries that we support, and most of those at hundred dollars a month. We uh, we support World Relief through an organization called Convoy of Hope. We have done it multiple times where there's a hurricane that might happen or an earthquake that might happen and oftentimes we've sent $5,000 or $3,000 and right now we give every month to that organization. They're always first on the scene. We support charities. We give away food. We send money to organizations that help people find freedom from addiction. Most of you would have your minds blown if you knew exactly how much money we gave away in missions and it all comes from offerings. It all comes from a generous heart and overflow. Now, I talked about the promise. I'm getting to it. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says this, A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. So how many of you know if you plant a handful of corn, you get a shovel load back? If you plant a shovel load of corn, you get a truck load of corn back. And if you plant a truck load of corn, you get loads back. It's multiplication. So here's, here's where the revelation came to me. God took them into the promised land. The manna stopped the day they entered the promised land. Why? This was multiplication giving. God was bringing them into a place where they wouldn't just have enough for the day, but they would have an abundance because they started planting their own crops. Does that make sense? They planted the seed and all of a sudden God was multiplying what they had been giving. The seed that they were sowing, God was multiplying it and it was a multiplication type of giving. All of a sudden they got into a place where they weren't just sustained. They were living in multiplication. They were living in abundance. And when I look at multiplication, when the Bible talks about multiplication and giving, do you know where it does it? Not necessarily in the tithe, but in the offering. That's where the multiplication giving is. And and I don't necessarily know why that is, but but I have a theory and it's this. The tithe is commanded. Tithe is a lot of money. I get that. 10% is a lot. The tithe is commanded, but it comes with two amazing promises. God is going to subtract the curse and add the blessing. But how many of you know when you tell your kids to do something and they do it, it's expected. But when your kids do something really good and you didn't tell them to do it, you're like, ha, 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 it's it's my kid. My kid right there. You know, you're proud, right? You want to reward them for doing things when they don't have to do it. I think that's why God loves offerings. Now, understand, you have to tithe first. That's commanded. But I think God loves offering giving because we're not commanded. Because it's out of the overflow and the abundance of our hearts that we give. And when we give like that, God multiplies that giving. And I think part of why he does that too is because he knows that we can be trusted with money and we can be trusted to funnel it through his kingdom. And the reason that he gives us more is so that we can hoard it and we can die rich. No. No. The reason that, and the reason at the end of Malachi that it talks about the fact that the nations will be blessed is because he was going to bless the Israelites, and the whole reason that God was going to bless the Israelites is so that they could be a blessing to other nations. It's turning outward. It's looking and taking that money, and, and at this point, and you know, a lot of people, a lot of pastors will say, well, that can come back in a lot of ways, and I would agree with that. I, I think there's biblical precedent for that, but how many of you know when you plant corn, what do you get back? Corn. You plant, you get back. That's That's the... That's the uh, that's the object lesson. That's the picture that we get. So so, what happens if we plant money? I think we get research. I think we get finances back. I really do. And I think we get it multiplied. I don't think it's just what we gave. And again, why is the purpose for that? It's not so that we can have more stuff. It's not. It's so that we can be generous and that we can be a conduit for God's generosity. But I think it's a pretty amazing thing that God puts us in this place where we can give, and He's going to multiply the giving. But the offering, I think, is where we find the true meaning of giving, and we find the true blessing. We find a promise that is just amazing. God took time to do it. So, this morning, I want to just challenge you, and uh, I'm just about ready to wrap up here. But um, when God talks about giving, and uh, you know, there's the tithe, and so I ask you the question: Are you in a place where you're just spinning your financial wheels? If you're not a tither see what happens see what happens this isn't a get rich quick thing this isn't a you know one of those things that I tell you because I, I want to try to manipulate you but, but it's biblical this is the word of God isn't it right. this is the word of God I'm not making this stuff up And I know it sounds self-serving for a pastor to come up and say give more but I'm, I'm using this as a method of discipleship this morning because Jesus talked about it second only to the kingdom of God and his ministry and so this morning, if you're in that place, maybe you need to start tithing. Maybe, maybe you're in a place where you're worrying about money all the stinking time, and it's always on your heart, and it's always on your mind. If you're not a tither, why don't you try tithing? Or maybe you're this morning. You've done tithing. You're, you're a tither, and you're you're doing good with it, and you're doing well. And God has sustained you. God has sustained you. In fact, I just heard a really cool testimony. I wish I could have had it this morning, but um, they were sick this morning, so I couldn't bring it. But one of our guys had surgery, and uh, he was a he's a worker. He works with his I can't remember what trade he's in tile or something I can't remember but um, he had surgery and he had to be off for a number of weeks and they were were really concerned about their finances and being able to make it but they had started tithing so he just told me um, I just talked to him at the restaurant that he works at part time he said hey you wouldn't believe that this tithing thing actually works he's like it's amazing he's like we've gone through this whole thing and we haven't had a single need everything's been taken care of that's God's sustained blessing maybe you're in a place where you're worried about finances you've never seen God's sustained but that's tithing but man, if you want to be in a place where you see multiplication, you know, maybe, you're, maybe you've done like the, the uh, undergrad level giving and you've tithed. Go above and beyond. Give to kingdom builders. Give an offering and then see what God is going to do because his word makes some pretty big promises about what he's going to do for those who are generous with their giving. Amen? All right. Well, I'm going to kind of leave it at that this morning. And um, here's what I'm going to do. You may have noticed that we did not take an offering. Maybe some of you thought that this was going to be a free Sunday. No. <laughs> There's a reason that we didn't take an offering, because I'm going to give an altar call this morning. And if I were to preach about salvation, I'd give an altar call to get, have people get saved. If I was going to preach about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I would give an offering. or An offering. There I go. Um, I would give an altar call to have you come down and receive the Holy Spirit. Well, today, I preached about giving. So, hosts, I want to have you get ready. We're going to respond to God this morning, and we're going to give with generous hearts. And you know what else? Worship team, you can go ahead and come on up. Worship team is going to play. We're going to take an offering here in just a second. You know what else is cool about this verse and I failed to mention? It says, God wants a cheerful giver. That word cheerful in the Greek is hilaros. It's where we get our word hilarious. It's only used one place in the Bible, and it's right there. Cheerful hearts, giving in a cheerful way. Not grudgingly, not running your check through clenched teeth, take this, God, take money. okay. It's doing it with a cheerful heart. If you've ever been to Africa and you've been to a service, uh, maybe not, I don't know if everywhere in Africa does, but the places that I've seen where missionaries go, they dance down the aisles and they'll give two, three offerings as they're dancing. I mean, how fun is that? To give away your money and have a smile on your face, right? That's counterculture. That's kingdom calculations. And so this morning, as the worship team plays... um, I'm going to have you guys respond to God by giving your offering. And uh, as the basket's passing, you're welcome to stand up this morning and join us in worship. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First Assembly of God podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest message.